When I was in, uh, right at the end of seventh grade, my parents decided they wanted to move back to their place of birth in, in Georgia. That's where my parents were from. They grew up there. And my siblings were all kind of out of the house and beginning to, you know, have their own families and so forth. And at the end of seventh grade, I'm the youngest of four. They say, hey, we're moving to Georgia. And so everything that I knew, I'm the only person born in Colorado in my family. I'm the only one born here. They, I was born right after they moved to Colorado. We, they said, we're moving back to Georgia. And oh, and you're coming with us. <laughs> Duh, a seventh grader, right? And um, we pack up the U-Haul. And I remember driving east across the country. And it was August. And so we had to get there in time for football practice. And I remember basically getting out of a U-Haul and going to football practice, like cutting it that close. And I think my parents were trying to heal their, their marriage or find, they were, they were, this was before they became Christians. So this was maybe going to be the, the winning shot for them in their marriage. And so we get there and I'm in a place, I know nobody. Like I'm in the culture of the South, um, half of my school was African-American. I'm this little white kid from Arvada, Colorado. And I literally lived like the Remember the Titans stuff of integrating, you know, races in, in sports and school and practice experience, a lot of stuff. And it took me it, all of eighth grade to even feel like I knew what I was doing. I started making friends and feeling like I was, I was connecting and all of a sudden, halfway through ninth grade, as my siblings began to have kids, my parents said, oh, we're moving back to Colorado. We don't want to miss out on our grandkids. Like, You've got to be kidding me. Like, you just moved me across country. I go, went to a place I know nobody. Now I'm actually kind of enjoying this, and we got to go back. And life is like that sometimes. Walking with Jesus sometimes is like Josiah, you're going not knowing the outcomes of everything that you're about to experience. And sometimes we walk in obedience before we walk in faith. When you know God, you sense a prompting from God, God's called you to do something, to go somewhere, and you do it in obedience because you trust the Lord. And you may not have an understanding of everything that's going on. We're in a series called Longing for Eden, where we're, we're in the book of Genesis. And many of us are reading through the Bible chronologically, not chronologically, but from cover to cover over the next year. We started right after Easter. If you're new or you've gotten behind, you can always catch up. But if you go to the Novation app and you click on the tile, His Story, you will find the reading plan that we're the Bible project people came up with. It's called One Story That Leads to Jesus. And we're right now in that part of the Bible, especially if you've chosen to do the one-year reading plan where we're just coming out of Exodus and we're in Leviticus. And this is where people quit. This, this separates the men from the boys when it comes to Bible reading because it's, there's so many little details and you're going, well, does this really matter? Like, why do I need to hear about not eating crocodile and storks and <laughs> cloven hoof, woven hoof, whatever? You know, didn't the sheet come down in the book of Acts and we, we you know, rise, Peter, kill, and eat? I mean, you start wondering. Here's what my encouragement. Power through. Keep going. Don't give up. 
You won't regret it. We have uh, our monthly midrash is Thursday, June 9th at 6.30. And that's where we come and just discuss some of the weird things that we're reading. I mean, you know, it's a little weird sometimes. It's okay to admit that. Um, and then also on June 12th, the day of the barbecue, is also after service, a little Q&R. We're gonna, you, you have an opportunity, if you go to the app and open it up, there's some new additional resources that are there. There's two podcasts that we put from the Bible Project, guys, about why is the tabernacle important and all those little details, as well as Q&R about the book of Leviticus. So it's all timely stuff where give you opportunity to grow. And so mark those things down as well on your, on your calendar. Um, let me set this up this morning of, of the, the teaching I feel like God put on my heart for us. I need to give some important background, so it's going to be maybe a little heady for a moment, but it sets the stage because today's where we're at in our sermons is there's a twist that's happening in, in the plot of the story. So just after the, the flood, because where we've been, we did creation, we did the fall, we did the corruption of Genesis 6 that preceded the flood. Kristen did a great job last week on the flood itself, and now things shift with this guy named Abraham who is super important to the story itself. And so just after uh, the flood, Noah's sons and their families began to be fruitful and multiply and, and, and grow. And we read in Genesis 10 that there were 70 clans, 70 nations from the lineage of Noah that went out and populated the known world. If you want to Google something super cool, Google, after service, just kidding, Google the table of nations. If you Google table of nations in the 70, you'll see a chart that shows where these clans went and populated the known world. I mean, it's really interesting to see how it all fits together in the narrative. If you when I read, I'm going to read something from Deuteronomy 32. It's not in your notes. But if you're taking notes, remember Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. This is in direct correlation to the 70 clans that went out and populated the world. It says, when the, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of man, he set the boundaries of the people's according to the number of the sons of God. Remember that phrase, the sons of God from Genesis 6 and Job? The sons of God, is a, it's, a, it's a way of talking about these divine beings, these angelic beings that God created. When he created the heavens and the earth before he created Adam and Eve, he also created a divine family that were given the responsibility to steward creation when we see in the book of Ephesians where Paul talks about how we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities and rulers, that's who he has in mind because a lot of these divine beings, they fell and they rebelled against God. And they're still trying to deceive the world and nations today. Jesus came to defeat them by his death and, and resurrection, and he did defeat them. But there's still a ruling power. You, you can look at certain nations and you can feel oppression in, in certain parts of the world. And that's, this directly goes back to this and what happened after the flood. And it says this, For the, the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob or Israel. 
is the allotment of his inheritance. So these gods, little g gods, rebelled against God. And they're trying to, if you see it throughout the narrative from the garden through chapter 6 of Genesis, they're trying to mess with the plan of God. But how many know you can't thwart the plan of God? They've been trying for the ages, and it looks like they, they have their way sometimes when we see the, the stuff that goes on in the world. But God's in charge. God is on his throne, and he's going to get the last word ultimately through Jesus. And you see as you're reading throughout the Old Testament that how many times does God say, don't have any other gods, don't worship foreign gods. What, what we have in mind is these divine beings that were given stewardship over the nations. He's saying, don't worship Baal and all Moloch and all these other gods that, of the surrounding nations of Israel. So then you get into chapter 11, and it's the Tower of Babel. And you see, again, right pretty soon after Noah, the corruption of the human heart again. And they're building this skyscraper building tower in some sort of metaphoric way to try to uh, usurp God and to try... Well, what was that? <laughs> get off me. Um, and and to, to, to get to God, and God's like, okay, enough. And he calls this guy named Abraham who's worshiping moon gods and all kinds of foreign gods, and he calls him out, and he says, I'm going to create a covenant people. I'm going to create a people of my name, people who will, will uh, represent me on the earth to the other nations. And so that's the calling of Abraham. Abraham is like, he's very much like Adam in that Adam was the, the beginning of humanity, but Adam broke the covenant. With God. God said, don't eat from this one tree. You can have the rest. Don't eat from this one tree. They did it. And then there was a, a, a Noah had this calling for God to start over again. And yet we see the corruption that happened immediately after that. And so he picks this guy named Abraham. And in the plan of God, ultimately everything God promises to Abram, who he later changes his name to Abraham, is going to be fulfilled in Jesus the true seed of Abraham, the gospel. So we're looking way in the backstory as people who follow Jesus and embrace the gospel. Here's the way, way backstory. So Abraham and his life give us a lot of practical things that we can apply to our life. And his calling, as we're going to look at today, we can relate to. And I think there's some principles that we're going to learn that if we apply, we're going to live better. How many want to live better? I do too. I've called today finishing without regrets. Finishing without regrets. I believe all of us want to finish our lives and not look back and say coulda, shoulda, woulda. You know, you don't hear people on their deathbeds saying things like, I wish I would have worked more. I wish I would have binge-watched more Netflix. Uh, I wish I would have watched more. We, you, you don't say that. Everything you're lamenting at the end of your life when you know it's coming to the end is relationships. I wish I would have spent more time with my family. 
I wish there wasn't bitterness, unforgiveness, whatever. It's very relational, and, we're, and we, we can tend to regret not having more influence and impact. And I think what God has for us today is a way, regardless of where we're at in our season of life, we can make a change. We can make a change today to say, you know what? I'm going to finish without regrets. And the first thing, if I'm going to finish without regret, the first thing is begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. What do I want the end of my life to look like? I'm not trying to be morbid here, but we all, we understand that our lives have an expiration date. It doesn't matter who we are. Every single one of us have an expiration date in our life. So what's the vision of what, what do I want people to say about me at my memorial? How do I want my family, my friends, people to remember me and my life? We all need to think about that. We have to have a vision for that. My dad's memorial was in December of 2020. And I knew my dad had an impact on a lot of people. But being at his memorial and listening to his grandkids talk and just, it was mind-blowing. My dad was, you know, he was an ornery old cuss sometimes, you know, and he, but man, he influenced and loved and left behind a legacy. I want that. And I know you want that too. Abraham's story goes from Genesis 11 and it finishes on his deathbed in Genesis 25. Genesis 25, 8 says, Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age and an old man satisfied with life and he was gathered to his people. Who doesn't want that to be how your life ends up at a ripe old age, satisfied with life? The truth is, we don't get much say in if we're going to get die in a ripe old age or not. But we do have a say in how we're going to live our life. And we can be like that and die satisfied with life. I believe dying satisfied with life is I didn't have regrets at the end. There was no unfinished business relationally with people. I forgave. I blessed. That's, that's a life that it goes beyond regret. And when you think about the life of Abraham, if you've been reading this or read it before, what caused this for him? Because when you look at his life, he had tons of struggles. He had tons of doubts, failures. And yet he died satisfied with life. So begin with the end in mind. How many want to live beyond regret? Raise your hand. We want to live beyond regret. We do. I know we do. So begin with the vision for the end of your life. How do I want this thing to finish? And the second thing I would tell you is this. Go all in in your walk with Jesus. Go all in. You will never, ever, ever regret God, God following, obeying God's call to follow him with your whole heart. You'll never, ever regret that. No person that's ever put their faith in Jesus and followed wholeheartedly said, man, that was a bummer. I, I, that didn't work out for me. It's never happened. Going all in does not mean we're going to be perfect. Going all in does not mean we're not going to make mistakes. Going all in means when I make a mistake, when I fail, I'm going to get back up. I'm going to repent. I'm going to say, God, I'm following you. You know the way to eternal life, Jesus. Where else do I have to go? 
And going all in doesn't mean he's going to call you to the remote parts of Africa or the Middle East. (laughs) Sometimes we think, oh, if I give God all my life, then he might call me to do something I don't want to do. If God calls you to do something, that's his plan for your life. And you're not going to be happy until you, you follow it. You're not going to be satisfied until you follow his plan. Obey those promptings. Going all in is handing God a blank sheet of paper with your name signed at the bottom and saying, God, here's my life. Write my story. I want to follow your will. I want to follow your plan. And as we're going to see in the life of Abraham and in his calling, it echoes two stories to me in both the Old Testament and New Testament. His calling of going not knowing echoes the call of Elijah to Elisha. Elijah was the prophet of Israel, and we see him in 1 Kings. And he's the one who you know, got the word of the Lord on behalf of the Israelites. And he passes his mantle to this guy named Elisha. And it's, it's, it's a strange ancient way of doing this, but he just walks by him and he puts his cloak on him, his mantle of being the prophet of Israel. And Elisha's like, whoa, what did you just do? <laughs> he said, what am I going to do? What did I tell my family? What about my livelihood, my ox, my plowshares? And Elijah's just like, I did what I did. And he just kept walking. <laughs> I just did what I did. You know, you, you're it. Tag, you're it. And uh, Elisha, you know what he did? He made his plowshares into a fire pit. And he had a barbecue with his oxen. Profound thing that happened there. That was his livelihood. He knew he was leaving behind everything to follow this call to be the prophet of Israel. Reminds me of Jesus walking on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and he sees the disciples and their fishing and all that happens with the big catch. And he says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They left behind their family and their livelihood to follow Jesus. Now Jesus isn't asking you and I today to leave behind our families or anything like that. What he's saying is give me all of your life. Follow me in your relationships. Follow me in your marriage. Follow me in your parenting. Follow me in your friendships. Follow me in how you work. Put me first place. And then we trust him with our lives. We go all in. So in our story for Abraham today, read a few passages. I'll read it sequentially. Is that even a word? (laughs) You know what I meant. Because it's not chronological, I I figured out as I was studying. It says, Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was barren. She had no child. Time out. How would you like to be introduced? Hi, this is Sarai, and she can't have kids. Like, that's a trip in, when you read in, in, in Scripture like that. But it says that because it's a huge part of Abram's story. We're going to see in God and them having to trust God when they can't have kids to have a kid in their 90s who she was barren, and then God saying, yeah, in, in your 90s, you're going to have kids. Cool, God. I'm with you. All in. 
Uh, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah, that's Abram's father, were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. We go to chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And so, and so, so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in all the families of the earth, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's a prophecy about Jesus. It's looking forward to Jesus and his fulfillment of this. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. It's interesting. When you compare Scripture with Scripture, and if you begin to understand how to read the Hebrew Scriptures, sometimes things get out of order. The creation story is a trip. You have chapter 1, and then they repeat it again, in chapter 2. And, and when I read from the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of 12, some things are out of order. And you say, well, how do you know that? In Acts chapter 7 in the New Testament, a disciple of Jesus, a leader in the early church named Stephen was before the religious leaders who were persecuting him for talking about this Messiah who had risen from the dead this Messiah of Israel, and they were persecuting him. And it was a very Hebrew thing to do to repeat the history of the people. And that's what he does in Acts chapter 7. He says, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans, and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, he moved to this country, meaning Israel, in which you are now living. But he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground, and yet even when he had no child, he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. Why am I bringing this up? As cool as Abraham is, he wasn't all in. He had halfway obedience to the call of God. And you'll see a pattern in the life of Abraham until towards the end when he really was all in, when he settled. He had this halfway obedience. Halfway, he did just go part of the way of what God says to do. Let's continue in Genesis 12. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew. He wasn't supposed to take any relatives. You remember that? He wasn't supposed to take his dad, as terrible as that sounds, or his nephew. But he took matters into his own hands, and he did it anyway. And as we're going to find out later, Lot became a kind of a pain in the rear, and it wasn't good for Lot's life, ultimately. And all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Mori. Now the Canaanite was in the land. That's an important phrase. 
the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the, coast of, uh, on the east of Bethel, Bethlehem, and pitched his tent with, Be- uh, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, con- journeyed on continuing towards the Negev. Instead of doing what God said to do, he did part of it. He left, but he he did it on his own terms. He even ended up in the Negev. He wasn't supposed to be in the Negev. What we see is him wandering. He had a wandering faith. He was, you know, was supposed, once he's got to, to the land of Canaan, there was a famine in the land. And instead of trusting God for provision, he left and went to Egypt is again, halfway obedience. And all kinds of trouble happened when he went to Egypt instead of staying in Canaan. My point is this. When we obey and we go halfway in, it's going to have consequences on my life. And it's going to have consequences on yours. God wants us all in to trust him because he's good. We were singing about his goodness and his love. He can be trusted. Let me show you a map. So this is modern-day Middle East, and I wish I had a little laser pointer. Does anybody have one of those? Okay. Um, So he starts in Ur down here, which is in the bottom of Iraq. That's where the Gulf War happened, you know, in the early 90s, the Persian Gulf. So he starts there, and instead of just going west to Canaan, For whatever reason, he goes to Haran, brings Lot, and brings his father. And they stay there until Lot's, I mean, until uh, Abram's father dies. Then he makes his way down through Syria and Lebanon. Haran's in modern-day Turkey. And he goes into Canaan, which is the land of of Israel today. And he goes to Shechem and Bethel and, and Ai. Then when the famine happens, he goes to Egypt. Then he comes back. And when he comes back into Canaan... That's when he's finally all in. That's when you start seeing him uh, doing things out of trust for God and believing God and trusting God. It took him a, a little while to be all in. He had a wandering faith when he should have had waiting faith. You ever been waiting on the Lord and then just take matters in your own hands? Yeah, none of us have ever done that. <laughs> We do it. We know God has told us to wait, but he's not answering our prayers in the timeliness that we wish he would. And we just go, oh, I'll take matters in my own hands. That's Abram and Sarah over and over we're going to see. It's like, God, did did he really say to do this? Let's just do things our own way. And every time I do that, every time we do that, there's consequences. There's consequences, and we see that. Begin with the end in mind and go all in in your following of Jesus. The third thing to to live beyond regret or to finish well is to take him at his word. Take him at his word. You will never regret trusting in God's promises. You'll never regret that. God's word leads to faith. Faith leads to obedience. Obedience leads to blessing. And then blessing leads to testing. When When we're walking in blessing, 
it leads to, to testing. We'll talk about that in a minute. But faith isn't faith until it's been tested. When life's going good and everything's easy, it's, it's easy to say I follow Jesus. But when somebody betrays me or something difficult happens, am I going to respond like Jesus or at least try to have my heart's posture respond like Jesus? Because that's what he wants for us. When we go all in, and we trust him and we take him at his word. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I believe, that everything God has promised are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So take it to the bank. Now the problem with that sometimes is, is we don't know what he's promised and hasn't promised. Because I know we want this to be heaven on earth. And when difficulties come, we're caught off guard. But this isn't heaven. One thing Jesus promised is he said, he said, in this life, you're going to have trials and sorrows of many kind. But take courage. I've overcome the world. So every time we go through a trial or sorrow, we can remember Jesus has overcome the world. He's overcome the problems. And he's going to get us through the difficulties. So don't be caught off guard when stuff happens. Life is going to happen. But here's the things that he did promise. Jesus promised us his peace. He said, in spite of the chaos in your life, he said, my peace I leave with you. Not peace like the world gives, but my peace. Worldly peace is based upon circumstances. If everything's going good and the way I, I want it to go, I'm at peace. Yay God, hurrah. But as soon as it goes chaotic, it's like we lose our peace. And Jesus is saying, you can have peace in spite of your circumstances. He also said that he gives us his joy. He said, I've told you these things that my joy would be complete in you. So we can have joy even in the middle of grief because of this promise, eternal life. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, they will live. Peace, joy, and eternal life are three things we can take to the bank and they're yes and amen in the person of Jesus. He never said everything else was going to go cake in this life. It's all the school of learning. The school of learning and growing in our following of him. Begin with the end in mind. Go all in. Take him at his word. And then this. Don't give up. Don't give up. You'll never regret persevering. Typo on my part, not preserving, <laughs> persevering through tests and struggles. You'll never regret persevering. Don't give up. I know you're going to go through a season where you just want to go, I'm done with this. Don't do it. Don't give up. Keep trusting the Lord. Persevere in Him. I'm not trying to give you a rah-rah speech here. I'm trying to give you truth that you can hang your hat on. Because if you're not in tough times now, they're going to come. Don't give up. And when you go all in, the enemy notices when you go all in. And the enemy is going to try to trip you up. But listen, Jesus has given you all authority because the name of Jesus, all authority is in his name. And that's who we represent. That's who we're with. Abraham made a lot of mistakes. But one thing I admire about his life is he didn't give up. He got back up off the mat and he trusted God. Life is, brings tests. Trust his promises before the test. 
Jesus gave a parable, the parable of the sower, if you remember. And he, he likened the word of God to a farmer that's sowing seed. He said some seed went on the, the path, some went into the, the, the rocky area, some went to where the thorns and thistles were, and some went on fertile ground and blossomed, you know, hundredfold fruit. And the metaphor Jesus is trying to use there is those, that ground is our hearts. It's people's hearts. And his word, his promises are the seed. And he said the, 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 the seed that went on the rocky ground, the path, the birds just came and snatched it up. The, the seed that was in the, the rocks couldn't get roots down into the ground. And, and then, you know, when, when the struggles of life and persecution come, it withered away. Then he said the one in the thorns and the thistles. He said that the, the weeds choked out the word of God that the cares and worries of this life choke out the Word of God in our life. We want to be people where our hearts are ready to receive God's promises. And I'm, I'm preaching to me, like Scott, believe His promises ahead of the test because the test is coming. Believe His promises. He is more than enough. And then lastly, begin with the end in mind, Go all in, take him at his word, don't give up, and pass it on. Pass it on. You will never regret being a blessing, being generous to others. You'll never regret that. Blessing isn't blessing until it's shared. You realize that's a, I, I wrote that down when we were on our Israel trip, and it was in my notes I was looking through the other day, and that blessing isn't blessing until it's shared with others. That's profound. We're blessed to be a blessing. Pass that blessing on. We don't really understand the word blessing a whole lot in our Western world, but in, in, in like the Hebrew culture, in the, the, the Middle Eastern culture, blessing is something that, that you do every day. You bless your kids. Bless your spouse. You bless them through prayer and, 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 and giving them encouragement. You know, husband and wife, pray over each other. Pray over your kids. Kids, pray over your mom and dad. We need blessing. Blessing is something that's always being passed on. Pass it on. But it's also the blessings of the, the things that God has given us in our life to be shared. You, you bless with what you have. I think sometimes... We get so focused on things that we forget. Life is, don't blink. When you go all in, you're saying, I want to be a blessing to people. I want to bless this world with, with the life of Jesus living through me. The first thing, the first two steps of beginning with the end in mind and going all in have to come first. To get to taking God at his word, not giving up and persevering through life, and then passing on the blessing. Those first two things have to happen. And I'm sensing in our church, talking to people, that there's, a, there's something rising inside of us that say, I want to be all in. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better mom, husband, wife, person, friend. 
I want to emulate Jesus. I want to go all in. If for some reason you've never said yes to Jesus, to be his follower, to agree with him that he's Savior and Lord, then do that today. There's nothing fancy that has to happen. You don't fill out a card or walk the aisle. It's a disposition of your heart where you say, Jesus, I'm in. I'm in. I'm with you. And then watch what he'll do in your life. But I love what God's doing. The, the, the vision of our church is community. And it's being the community of believers together, loving one another, caring for one another, and then letting that spill out into the community beyond just us here at church. We're going to sing a song as a way of kind of responding to God's call. So if you'd stand with us, and you probably will recognize the words, but it's about making room in your life for God. It's about going all in. I'd say let's make this our prayer to go all in. Yes, I will make room for 
So shake up the ground, shake up the ground of all my tradition. Break down the wall of all my religion. Your way is better. Oh, your way is better. Shake up the ground of all my tradition. Break down the wall of all my Father, we thank you for Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and I thank you for this ancient book that is so real about the lives of people who made mistakes and, and all of that, Lord, an example to us to learn from and to glean, and I pray for that for us, God. I pray for us to leave this place today, Lord, all in, like just trusting you and believing that you're good, believing that you know what's best, and that we will go where you want us to go and do what you want us to do. God, I admit that there's some things we don't need to pray about that we just need to go look for and see people that are hurting to be a blessing to our neighbors and our co-workers and help us to be people who forgive one another quickly that honor one another above ourselves help us to be a people marked with your love God I pray for those that are discouraged this morning that your encouragement would fill and flood their hearts because it's your encouragement that we need. Thank you for that we have everything we need for life and godliness in you, Lord Jesus. We lack nothing. Help us to access that, that which you've already shared with us. God, would you strengthen marriages in our church? Strengthen families? God, I pray for our, our young people, our students, young adults, God, that they would not turn to the left or to the right or get caught up in all the, all the stuff and the traps and the snares that are there, but God, they would believe you at a young age and not 
have to walk the way of mistakes and learn the hard way, but they would trust you, God. God, I pray for more boring testimonies as the, when they're adults. So-called boring, Lord, you know what I mean. God, thank you for your love. And Father, we receive it. We walk in it. Thank you for your embrace today. In Jesus' name, amen.